Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hi there. Thanks for joining me today on A Better HR Business. I've a real treat for you today. Today I'm joined by the hugely influential business leader, Aaron Ross. Aaron is a global keynote speaker and the number one best-selling author of the classic B2B sales and growth book, Predictable Revenue, Turn Your Business into a Sales Machine with the $100 million best practices of salesforce.com. Aaron has since gone on to write another bestseller called From Impossible to Inevitable, which he co-wrote with the also legendary SaaS growth expert, Jason Lemkin. From Impossible to Inevitable details the hypergrowth playbook of companies like HubSpot, Salesforce.com, the fastest growing multi-billion dollar software company, and EchoSign, which is also known as Adobe Document Services, which catapulted from zero to $144 million in just seven years. Regardless of the size of your business, you can use the same insights as these notable companies to learn what it really takes to break your own revenue records. I've read the book and I loved it. It'll help you pinpoint why you aren't growing faster. It'll help you understand what it takes to get to hyper growth, to nail a niche, which is the number one missing growth ingredient, and what every revenue leader needs to know about building a scalable sales team. Outside of writing best-selling books and giving headline speeches at conferences around the world, Aaron is co-CEO of PredictableRevenue.com, which helps companies grow faster with outbound selling systems. He's also a happily married man with a tribe of children who, if they're anything like my kids, leave a joyful trail of toys and playful destruction wherever they go. Okay, let's meet Aaron. Hello everyone, it's Ben here again. I am at SAS Stock in Dublin and I'm delighted to be joined by Aaron Ross, the co-CEO of Predictable Revenue. Aaron, thanks very much for joining me today. Yeah, Ben, excited to be here in Dublin doing this talk. And you managed to choose a day when it wasn't raining, so that is a rare feat. Well done indeed. So folks, if you're not aware of Aaron and his background, he wrote a best-selling book, Predictable Revenue, which has turned, I don't know, it's just become snowballed into a, an yeah, event Yeah, they call itself. it the uh, sales bible of Silicon Valley. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of changed how companies scale and grow their sales teams and revenue models are. Absolutely. So we're going to dive into that today to, to help you work out how to grow your business faster and in a more systematic and, of course, in a more predictable way. Can I ask you just to give us a quick overview for people who have not read the book? And shame on you if you haven't, but can you give us an overview? <laughs> Good, I like you already. <laughs> yeah, I can give a really quick summary. Yeah. So uh, in early days of Salesforce.com, right, I joined Salesforce when there's about 150 people. Uh, and the reason, actually, it's interesting. The reason I joined is because I had started a venture-backed company, raised $5 million in funding, uh, CEO, and it failed. Partly because I didn't know how to build a sales team. So I went to Salesforce to learn how to create a professional sales team. And I ended up creating the, from scratch, kind of like the outbound selling process and team and model at Salesforce, which helped them almost double their growth rate. So that was when they were about 25 million. Um, In a few years, uh, the system I created, and of course they had so many things that were going right for them. But the little part I created helped add an extra 100 million of revenue in a few years. And then I published a book about it in 2011 called Predictable Revenue. So two of the ideas, key ideas there. One is sales specialization, which is you, salespeople shouldn't prospect. It's really, they're not very good at it. They 
can't, they not very, they don't want to do it. And even if they are good at it, they get busy closing deals, so they can't keep it up. So the right way to create a sales team is you kind of specialize them. Prospectors who prospect, closers who close, account managers, you know, or a customer team that manages customer accounts, kind of like a sports team. Everyone has their specialty, attackers, defenders, goalie. Um, but in sales, salespeople shouldn't do everything themselves. So that was a, one big idea. And the other is the, the value of outbound prospecting in terms of a function that can create predictable lead generation. So having dedicated prospectors who can reach out to cold customers, whether by email, calling, social, and set up appointments with people who don't know you, can be done in a very predictable way. And if you can create predictable pipeline, predictable leads, then you will be able to create predictable revenue. That's a very good summary. Um, so you moved on in terms of your career. You went. You eventually left Salesforce. I did. I got, you know, I wanted to do my own thing. I really went to Salesforce to, uh, to get paid to learn. I wanted to learn about sales. Um, a lot of times there I enjoyed it. A lot of times I was frustrated. I knew I'd do my own thing. And I left. Uh, and I remember leaving Salesforce. The thing I, the only, I was like, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do. I want to do my own company. And I know I don't want to do sales consulting. So, of course, I ended up doing sales consulting <laughs> for a while. Uh, and there's a bit of a, definitely for a few years, journey to figure out what I wanted to do. And, um, but I explored different things. I did something called Unique Genius, helping people make money through enjoyment. I wrote a book called CEO Flow, turning employees into mini CEOs. Uh, but ended up getting married in 2011 and having kids. I ended up going from uh, zero to nine kids in like six years, funny enough. And of course, had to create predictable revenue for myself to support the family. So I went back, published the predictable revenue book in 2011, and we've built now a, uh, it wasn't zero, probably $70,000 to now it's about a $5 million services business at predictablerevenue.com. So that's, that's what we do today, is still helping companies be successful at growing predictably through outbound prospecting. That's brilliant. And I want to ask you about the, the business and, and some of the learnings from what you've gone through. But can I just ask, um, a lot of the listeners to, for my podcast have been in really senior roles, the HR directors, the chief HROs, all that kind of stuff. And then they decide, no, I'm going to do this on my own. And a lot of them would struggle in that interim period. And it sounds a bit like what you went through. Is there any advice for people who are stepping out to the great unknown? Yeah. Um, well, first, if you do want to start your own company, whether it's consulting or software company, it, be prepared for it to take longer than you think it will. Set, if you are like a software company or a technology company, it could take two years. Uh, it usually takes two years longer than you want. Consulting can take a while. It can be very up and down. The best thing you can do if you're at a current job is to work on building your audience. Because if you build your audience, right, the people who know you, it's, it's partly your network. Ideally, if you're someone who feels confident or, well, let me phrase that, you feel, whether you feel good about it or not, if you can get yourself to publish content, let's put it that way, because a lot of people don't feel comfortable, which is not an excuse not to do it. If you can publish content, that's another way to build your audience. And if the more that you can build your audience, the more uh, of a running start you're giving yourself towards whatever you do on your own, whether it's consulting or whether it's a tech company or something different. You want to give yourself, it's hard doing your own company, whether it's consulting, and you want to give yourself every advantage. I completely agree with that. That's great advice. So if I turn for, to some of the learnings, um, whether it be consultancies or but certainly on the HR tech side of things, a lot of the businesses are going into quite crowded spaces, the HR information systems. Everything's crowded now. Everything. There you go. 
Um, so I'm always pushing, understand your, your customers, their use cases, all that kind of stuff. But what's your advice on how to nail your niche? Yeah, so I think there's this Uber trend, right? The world, and this has been going on for forever, really, and it's just accelerating now, is that there's just information overload, app overload, uh, content overload. There's too many choices. There's too many sources of information. There's too many conflicting opinions. There used to be, in the sales world, there might have been 500 sales apps a few years ago. Now there's 5,000 sales apps, and in a few more years, there'll be 50,000. HR, it's the same. It's everywhere. So what that means is the ability to focus on the key customers who need what you do the most, and whether this is consulting or technology, it's the same principle. Yes, everyone could use you, but where are you needed the most? Who uh, will go through the effort to evaluate, to buy and implement what you do? That's one thing that's vital. Like, How do you make it simple for your customers to see what you can do and how you can help them? And if you do have a sales team, so in other words, you're cutting through the noise. You're trying to sh if you are a radio station, you try to tune your signal so it's very clear to the right people, not to everybody. Like a radio station, so in the, in the Impossible book, we use the example of uh, if you had a radio station that said, you know, we're K101, which is you, we play jazz and Irish folk songs and rock and hip hop and blues, and it, it's just confusing. But if you pick your station and you broadcast clearly, it'll make it easier for the right customers to hear you. And if you have a sales team, it's the same principle. Salespeople can get overwhelmed if you have too many products, too many types of customers. How can you make it simple for your, the people on your team to focus on the right customers who have the right problems with the right message. It's really about focusing is this kind of antidote or this uh, countercurrent against the overwhelm. And that's the only way to cut through the noise is to be focused. Yeah, to be focused. So that means, you know, we say nailing a niche or nailing a niche, which means really being very uh, disciplined about the types of customers who need you the most, understanding them, like be able to like read their minds in a way by knowing them. So you know what their problems are like and how they think. And then that enables you to kind of communicate with, to them in a way that is meaningful to them, whether that's through blogs, video, cold emails, or any other kind of medium. Uh, of course, the, the counter argument to that is that it, it sends people into a blind panic that if we're going to narrow down our focus, we're leaving lots of money on the table. True. There's a lot of fear in that. So I'd say it's not about having a smaller vision or a smaller market. It's about being focused. Um, because again, if you can, I think people also use the term like beachhead. Uh, so if you, like salesforce.com always had a vision for, you know, like business on the web, but their initial niche was Salesforce automation. And that's still the basis of their success today. Amazon.com had a vision for global e-commerce world domination. Their initial niche was books. Um, Zappos was shoes. So for a lot of the most successful companies, if you look back, they actually did pick one specific or focused niche to get started, and then they would build on other layers. So I think what happens is it's the old uh, fable around a dog with a bone in its mouth who sees its, mirror, its reflection in the river. They want, it wants both bones, drops the first one, right? So what's your bone? Don't drop that focus on a specific kind of customer because it feels too small or not interesting. Um, there's a lot of re fears that come up. It's like, just stick to what you're best at first. I went through this personally. I've seen this, people go through this, which is when I left Salesforce, right? Again, I didn't want to do sales consulting. Ultimately, when I, and I had other ideas, I had other kind of businesses and things. 
when I had a family, when I had to make more money in a predictable way to support a growing family. And now we've got nine going on 11 kids, and I'll tell you, it's really, really expensive. Um, I had to focus on that, that niche, which I resisted before, because again, kind of too narrow, and I don't know, I don't want to do prospecting, did that, bored with it. Too f- and I went back to my, what I was known for, best at, which is outbound prospecting. And that really what sort of created that success, is that focus. So, and I've seen this time and again with companies and people. Again, really common uh, situation is, like you said, if people want to leave, and a lot of times, oh, I've been doing HR for, or some specialty or compensation for so long, I want to do something new. A lot of times you leave because you want to try something around travel, you want to do some new thing, and then to kind of support yourself or create some traction, you end up going back to the thing you're the best at, that you have the most experience in, and maybe you find a new way to do it to embrace your strengths and apply those old strengths in a new way. So, again, there's a lot of reasons you can come up with, like, not wanting to focus in on something specific, but that is really the number one key to success for most people in most companies. It's the most common reason people struggle to grow, trying to do too, like, be too broad, too general, too, too much like the radio station broadcasting six kinds of music. And once you've chosen your niche, you can position your business much clearer, and it's a much stronger proposition, right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, just, you just want you need to be specific enough so that customers who see you can kind of get a sense of, oh, yeah, that's relevant to me. That could be helpful. Can I ask, um, with inbound marketing being so huge, how do you get the balance right between inbound and outbound marketing? Well, I think if you're a company and you, most of the time, companies start out, and of course, you need to start out by having your customers be successful, happy in some way. And usually, it, whether you do sort of inbound marketing which, or content marketing, and that would include like social media, you're publishing content of some sort, or you're doing outbound prospecting, which is you are reaching out to customers in some way, kind of depends on your initial passion or interest. Like some people just love posting content, great, go for it. Some people really don't like that and they want to reach out to, you know, through prospecting or business development to get customers. So kind of follow the thing you inherently are most interested and excited by. Ultimately, you need both content marketing and outbound prospecting for most businesses, any product business for sure. So there's not a simple answer around what's the right ratio of inbound sort of leads or effort versus outbound. It really depends on the business and how effective each. I'd say longer term, SaaS companies and product companies usually end up with kind of a uh, 40% of their business, new business comes from content marketing, inbound marketing, 40% comes from outbound prospecting, and 20% comes from like channels, like referral partners and channel partners. But again, that could vary completely by business to business. I would say the lesson is like focus on one, like outbound mark. Sorry, uh, uh, outbound prospecting. That alone can take six to 12 months to really do it and do it right. Same thing with content inbound marketing can take six to 12 months to really do it right. So just pick one when you're really trying to grow. Pick one to nail first before you add. The, uh, scatter your energy trying to do too much at one time. What would you say to people who think that outbound prospecting is on the decline? Well, it's not. I think it's actually growing faster than ever. And the reason is because people see how directly it can drive revenue. I'd say for a lot of the venture funded companies, some of the fastest growing companies in the world, the BDB companies, one of the first things they do to drive growth is create an outbound prospecting program. Now, some things are on decline, like for example, email response rates. Um, the world is always changing. 
but there's other things that are getting better, like LinkedIn you know, response rates, and that's always evolving. So the bottom line is for most companies, outbound pro- especially product companies, um, outbound prospecting is something you have to do. You don't have to do it today, but you do have to do it at some point if you want another channel that's going to drive growth in a predictable way. And there's a lot of reasons why it's, it is successful, can be successful, and can add a lot of uh, revenue and predictability to your revenue model. Whether you're in, the Euro- in Europe or in the States, even with GDPR, like, that hasn't really changed. People still doing prospecting all the time in Europe. Yeah, I'd agree. I've seen that. Uh, second last question. Um, what are your thoughts on people writing a book? Because there are many people who've got these great ideas sitting there, whether they're tech founders or uh, lead consultants and so on, and they're sitting with an idea on the back burner. What's your advice? Um, okay, here's my snarky answer first. <laughs> uh, my uncle's a book agent. And he says that everyone's got a book in them, and most of them should stay there. Should stay there. <laughs> so, okay. So having said that, um, he gets lots of people writing biographies to him. So people who are like their life story, you know, sob story. Uh, everyone's got that. So it's just hard to write them well. Now, having said that, I think if you have a passion to write a book, you should follow it. There's lots of ways to do that. There's so many avenues to getting a book written. Um, there's more options than ever today to get a book written. You can define that book as like a 30-page ebook. It could be a 300-page hardback book. Um, you know, t- 10, 20, 30 years ago, there was one route, which is through a publisher, for the most part, and it was hardback. And but now you could do self-publish on, on Amazon. There's still so many self-publishing options. So I'd say is if you have always wanted to write one, um, here's what worked for me. There's two. I did it this two ways. The first way was predictable revenue. I just blogged for like five years, right? And I really was able to write when I was inspired. Um, you know, sales blogs and different things. And then I saw, I saw this course, how to write a book in a weekend. I was like, ah, wow, you could do that? And I was like, huh. And I did it. And a lot of this is about don't worry, be crappy. Like just get it written. Because we get stopped, I get stopped by perfectionism. And then I, so I took the, you know, the blog posts for years and kind of assembled it into a book and um, found some people on Upwork, now it's called, for like title, uh, sorry, like formatting and to get it formatted to, I use Lightning Source, but there's a lot of like publishing options. So you can, on Upwork, you can find anyone to handle the technical parts or editing or graphics. So that was one way I did it, um, kind of the organic way, just like writing here and there and then assembling it. The other way I did it was with the, the, new, the new book, it's called From Impossible to Inevitable. Um, started off with, hey, I'm gonna write a book and I kinda don't know exactly what it's gonna be about, but it's time to do it. And there's two things I did. I got a partner, right? Because for me, when I have a partner, there's more accountability. I need to like show up, plus we get to talk about things and it's just, it's easier, I need partners to do things. And then we end up getting a publisher, which I know there's pros and cons, I would recommend not getting a publisher for most people unless you feel like you need that for the, the accountability. Like you need someone to like really have a contract and you have to do it. Okay. And there's pros and cons. Um, I don't think I'd use a publisher again, but sometimes they're great. So the other thing, I got a publisher and had deadlines. Right? So we, the deadlines for me, deadlines, again, big family, a ton of kids. If I don't have deadlines, then it just doesn't happen. So in that case, started with a partner and deadlines, and that kind of forced me to, and my partner, come up with what are we going to do, what's going to be called, what would be in the book, and to do it. 
So I think if I would say the best thing to do is if you've been thinking about it for a long time, just announce to people, hey, I'm going to do a book. And that makes it more real. And even better is if you can then announce some sort of date for a first step, like a draft. Because then you kind of have to do it. So burn the boats on the beaches. Totally. That works for me. that's That's the number one thing that has worked for me to power my success in family and in terms of being able to spend more time with my family and to like have a good family life because I'm a very active father. I only work 15, 20 hours a week. Um, and also to power kind of money because I, I increased my income from 70-ish thousand to $800,000 a year. Again, still only working uh, you know, 15, 20 hours a week. Again, through partners and deadlines. So for, they call them forcing functions. And actually, they're so important to me. I found them so essential. I, we wrote about them in the Impossible book but essentially it's burning your bridges. You kind of, the example is, again, announcing, hey, I'm gonna do something by a date. I'm gonna have a webinar by a certain date. I'm gonna do a conference by a certain date. I'm gonna write a book by a certain date. And I may not even know what it's about yet, but by announcing it, it kind of forces me to figure it out. And I think a last tip would be the best way to make a great book. Again, for me, what worked was um, doing those forcing, like announcing, doing public talks over and over again. And that forced me, whether the talk was a webinar or with, with six people at dinner or 20 people at a conference, there's so many ways, but getting, forced myself to get out in front of people and share the ideas, forced me to clarify who am I speaking to, what would they care about, and what would I, walk them, what would I want them to walk away with. Uh, and between that and some consulting, it's kind of distilled those sales ideas into a book like Predictable Revenue, which again became something that's we've sold more than 100,000 copies. Um, so I understand the nervousness, the anxiety, the hesitation, the resistance to public speaking for most people the, in a book. So to do a book and to make it a great book between the um, public speaking for quality, and actually you can also generate content that way, and partners and deadlines for to make sure it actually happens is like how can you burn your bridges. Like that's really, that has been the secret to my success at least. Because I, I get lazy, procrastinate, and tired, and anxious, and perfectionist, just like everybody else. It's actually good to hear that you're human, so that I'm pleased oh, to Oh, trust me. My, yeah, I'm very human. I've all, I'm sure my, my family, my kids, and my wife could list all my faults. <laughs> we'll get them on separately yeah, later. Yeah, everyone's got them. Um, and, and sorry, just on that, uh, your co-author, Jason? Jason Lemkin, yeah. He started, um, he started, he founded a company called EchoSign, which then sold to Adobe. So he grew that from zero to more than 100 million in recurring revenue. And now he founded Saster, which is the world's largest community of uh, SaaS and fast growth companies. So he was my co-author on the, uh, the book, The From Impossible to Inevitable Book. So it's a long, it's a long title, but, but uh, it's fromimpossible.com and very proud of that one. So it's like they, now they call that the growth Bible of Silicon Valley. Brilliant. I've read the book. It's a, it's a great book for people listening. So you've got two legends uh, of the B2B industry who've yeah. written that. It's a, it's a playbook for growing, for that for revenue growth, for like nailing your niche, uh, lead generation, and sales models. Like how do you build your sales team? Basically, there's a lot of mistakes you can, you can just copy and paste to avoid. There's a lot you can't, you know, who your customer is and kind of the messaging. But the book, the impossible book, is really is this template for growth how to grow faster. Like, why aren't you growing as fast as you want? How to grow faster, how to keep it up. 
I actually found the book interesting for two reasons. One, there's just so much learning in there and advice and a, and a structured approach to take, but also that it's very honest. You guys reveal the mistakes you made and the regrets yeah. and things like that. It was really good. Yeah, plus, I, I, you know, the section I'm probably most hat proud of is this thing that people don't talk about much, which is how, like, the journey, how it can take years longer than you want, how all you're, we're surrounded by all these stories of success, whether actually it's in, in business or personally, and it creates this uh, disjointness dis because you know entrepreneurs and honestly parents most of the days are like dealing with problems, right? The nature of an entrepreneur is I'm solving problems. So 95% of my time I'm dealing with like things that aren't working or a lot, but I'm surrounded by stories of people uh, of success. So I feel like other people are crushing it, but why am I struggling? And it's not true, everyone's struggling, but we just share the success for the most part. And you know, another example, most um, tech, at least tech entrepreneurs have, it's a very, it's a much higher percentage of kind of like mental struggles than the average population. So something about entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, like this um, drive to create and grow also shows up with, could be more depression, more anxiety, and also like creating a company is stressful, you know, it is. Um, I really appreciate your time. <laughs> Exciting indeed. Uh, final question, if people want to learn more about you and your company, what should they do next? Uh, I probably would start with the, the book, the From Impossible to Inevitable book has really got so much like life-changing information for an entrepreneur, whether you are one or want to be one, and that's at fromimpossible.com. Uh, and then for companies that are interested in hiring like myself or our, our company for outbound, uh, you know, I do like speaking and consulting. We do outbound prospecting services. That would be predictablerevenue.com. Aaron, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.